Well, we've got another short passage this morning. Just a couple of verses from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is Paul writing to a young pastor. Um, Timothy's about my age, maybe a few years younger than me as Paul's writing this to him. And this is in Paul's final letter. Paul knows he's about to die. And so he's writing to this man that he's discipled for 20 years, and, and he's writing to him. And here's one of the things that he really wants Timothy to know as a young pastor. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I've mentioned before that most of the turning points in my life or in my faith were the result of someone giving me a faithful rebuke or a faithful kick in the pants. And uh, when, I, when I first started in ministry, I've told you guys too, I never expected to be a pastor and anybody who knew me never expected me to be a pastor. And one of the reasons was I hated reading books and I hated studying and you think, that is not a good recipe for a pastor, right? I just, I didn't. I, I didn't read books. I didn't like studying. We were just talking this morning at home. I had to take my ACTs. I never studied for my ACTs. I just walked in, took the test, and walked out because I just didn't like doing any of that kind of stuff. But I did like listening to podcasts. And so I would put a, put a earbud in my ear and listen to a podcast while I was driving around or riding my bike. And I liked listening to this man, his name is Greg Steer. He's uh, the head of Dare to Share Ministries, and it's an organization that helps teach teenagers and youth pastors how to share the gospel. And so I'd listen to him regularly, and one of the podcasts, he was speaking to a group of youth pastors, and he looked out at them intently and said, you guys need to challenge yourself, and you need to read some darn hard books. And I was like, whoa. And I took it as a rebuke from the Lord. I mean, the Lord cut me to the heart and said, you need to read something hard. You need to actually read a book, for one, and then read a hard book. And so um, so I went back home and I started asking around my church and I decided, I want to read Calvin's Institutes. Because that's about the hardest book I know of at this point in time. And so I started asking around our church, do any of you guys have Calvin's Institutes? No, why would we have Calvin's Institutes? I don't know. I just, somebody in our church should. So I kept asking around and they kept saying, are you really sure you want to read that book? I mean, it's it's really hard. And and some couple people said, you don't really want to read it. It's just kind of dry and boring and dusty stuff. You don't really, and I had people just trying to discourage me from reading this book, but God had laid it on my heart that I need to read this book. And so I persevered, and I found somebody with a copy, and I sat down, and it was really, really hard to read. I had to sit down with a dictionary in one hand and the institutes in the other because I didn't understand half the words that were in it. I'd, what, is, what does sucker mean? Like not, like, not like a sucker, but like sakur. What does that mean? I'd look it up. Oh, okay. And then I'd read a sentence. Oh, what does that mean? But as I read that book and as I started figuring, you know, the the whole book is about helping us understand God's word more fully. And he's teaching from God's word. And I started to see more fully who God is and what God has done. And I found the very opposite happening to my heart. I didn't find my heart getting dry and all withered up. I actually found myself, my heart being inflamed. 
And I started finding myself worshiping God like I've never worshiped God before. And I found myself going into my youth ministry and speaking to the teenagers in my group and ministering to their needs in a way that I've never ministered to them. And I just was, I, I was on fire like I've never been on fire before. And I thought, well, that's, everybody said that was, this is the opposite of what was going to happen as I dove in and started to understand this stuff more. And then I came to this line in his institutes that I think helps understand why that happened. He said, our mind cannot conceive of God without rendering some worship to him. I mean, just take a moment to think about that for a moment, that we can't even conceive of God without worshiping him to some degree. That God is, in his essence, the most powerful, most magnificent, most beautiful, most loving, most glorious being that we could even conceive of. And as you get to know him more fully, your mind should be blown over and over and over again in awe and worship of him. That it's impossible to know God more fully without being in awe of who he is. And it's impossible to know more of what God has done in the world and what he's doing and what he will do without worshiping him more fully. Because he's just that great. And when we begin to connect this to this definition of worship that we've been talking about, it begins to make more sense again. It says worship is this response of adoration, submission, trust, and joy to who God is and what he has done. And so as we begin to see more of who God is, his very character, we fall down in adoration and worship of him. We say, man, you're you're amazing. You're glorious. When, when we begin to see what God has done, not only in our own lives, but what God's doing in the world and through creation, we, we respond in worship to him. And it's important for us to get the fact that there's no disconnect between our head and our heart. That we've kind of put some disconnect there while well, you know things, but then you really, you know, you really heart believe things. And, and that's true, but nothing gets to your heart unless it goes through your head first. That in order to really worship God, you have to know something about him. You can't really worship God unless you know how great and glorious and beautiful he is, or unless you know the great and glorious things that he's done. And once you know those things, then you respond in worship to him. And the reality is, the more fully you know those things, the more fully you worship him because you get to know him better, and then he's even more glorious. When you find out, to get, when you get to know God more, and you get to know God better, you find out he's more glorious than you even imagined. And so you respond in worship more. And so it starts up here in the head and it moves down to your heart. But in talking about this, we all should recognize that we, we don't worship the way that we should, right? We, we don't, we, we fall short all the time. We, if you were to ask, do you really adore God the way you should adore God? Um, we should all say no. <laughs> do you really submit to God the way that you should submit to God? And uh, we should know, do we really trust God the way you should trust God? Or do you really find joy in God the way you should? And you should, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize we don't. It doesn't mean it's all worthless, but what it means is we have to grow. 
We have to grow in our worship of God. We have to grow in our adoration, grow in our submission, grow in our trust, grow in our joy. And one of the ways we grow in that is by more fully knowing who God is and what He has done. And as we get to see God more glorious and we see the work that He's done more glorious, then our hearts respond to that and we say, you are great and I will give my life to you. And as I ask the kids, where do we go? Right? Where do we go to find out how great God is and the great work that He's done? And God says, just come and listen to me. I'll talk to you about it through my word. Right? All Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. Genesis to Revelation is all God-breathed. It's God speaking directly to us His very word. And it says, all of it is. It doesn't say, some of it is, or most of it is, or even the vast majority of it is. It says, all, 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 all of it is God's word. So if you were to ask me, well, do you really believe that like the first couple chapters in Genesis about this creation business, that that's God-breathed? Yes, because it's all God-breathed. Do you really do you really believe that that funny business with this guy named Jonah getting swallowed by a fish? Do you really believe that that's God's word? Yes, all of it's God's word. It's all God's word. It's all this whole book when we open it up is God saying, "Here is who I am, and here is what I have done. Here is what I'm doing now, and here's what I'm going to do in the future." It's God revealing himself to us that way over and over and over again. And so every time we open our Bible, it's God speaking to us. It's not that we have to go away to a cabin in the woods and, and do this little ritual in order to have God speak to us. If you, if you want God to speak to you, you literally just have to open up the Bible and start reading it. And he will speak to you right then and there in that moment. And as he speaks to us and as he set, tells us who he is and what he's done, our hearts should be stirred to worship. Paul says not only is all of Scripture God-breathed, he says all Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So not only is all Scripture breathed out by God, but it's all useful, or other translations say it's all profitable. Which is why, if you ever wonder, why do you preach the way you do? Why do you kind of go through a book of the Bible and then you'll go from the New Testament and then you'll go back to the Old Testament? You kind of jump around and try to hit every part of the Bible? Because I think it's all profitable for us. It's all useful. It's all profitable. Even the book of Numbers is profitable and useful. Even the book of Leviticus. And I was just talking to a guy the other week. And guess what book he was reading when he came to faith? Leviticus. And you think, what? He said, God works in mysterious ways. But he was reading the book of Leviticus and said, this is the God that I want to serve. Put his faith in God. So it's all breathed out by God and it's all useful. And it's all useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. And and what I want to say is you can summarize all of this by saying it's all useful for helping us grow in worship. 
is another way to say it. It's all useful in helping us grow in our worship, in our worship of God and in every aspect of our lives. We come to God's Word and it, it teaches us how to adore God. It, it rebukes us in, when we're not submitting to God. It rebukes us in our false worship. It corrects and guides us in our worship. It, it trains us in righteousness so that our lives are holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship, is what we just talked about last time I preached. All of Scripture is useful in, in helping us to grow in our worship of God. But Paul goes on and he says that there's a goal. It's helping us grow and it's helping us grow in a certain direction. So he says, all scripture is breathed by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. Now, why? What's the goal of all of this? The goal of scripture, the goal of the work of scripture is so that the man of God would be complete, equipped for every good work. And that idea of complete is Jesus that you would be complete like Jesus Christ, so that you would look like Jesus Christ. And so the goal of Scripture, it's teaching, correcting, it's shaping, it's molding, it's chiseling off rough edges and, and shaping you like a sculptor so that you would become completely like Jesus Christ, which is the goal of every Christian. I mean, we should look at Christ and we should say, this is, this is what we were created to live like. This is how God has created us to live. And, and so we come to Scripture And it's God's tool that's used to shape and mold us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. He also says that it's, it's, he's saying the same thing in a different way. He says that scripture is used to equip us for every good work. And if you're complete and you look like Jesus, guess what? You're going to be doing good work. But he's just helping us understand this in a little different way and saying when we come to Scripture, it is what will equip you for every single good work. And just like at the beginning, when I reminded you that all of Scripture means all of Scripture, when he says every good work, he means every good work. That if there is a good work that you want to do, Scripture is what equips you to do that work. So Scripture is what equips you to raise your children well. Scripture is what equips you to, to go to work and, and worship God in your work and to do that work well. Scripture is what equips you to, to come to church and serve in church well. Scripture is what equips you to go on a camping trip and do that well. Scripture is what equips you to go out into your community and share the gospel. Any single good work you have or that you want to do, he says, you are equipped to do that by reading Scripture. It's powerful. It, this is at the core of who we are as a people, as the people of God. And at its core, you can summarize all of that as saying, Scripture is what equips us to worship God in every aspect of our lives. And if you start taking a moment to think through this, think, think about which area of life or which area of worship you struggle with the most. So do, do you struggle to uh, give adoration to God? Or do you struggle to submit to God? Or is it hard for you to trust God? Or is it difficult for you to find joy in God? Paul says, Scripture is what answers each one of those struggles. I mean, just, just think about it for a moment. If you struggle to adore God, 
Paul says, open up your Bible, read it, study it, meditate on who God is. Just take a moment to think about the God that we serve and worship never had a beginning and never had an end, never will have an end. That uh, the one that blows me every time I was talking to the kids, I'll go out at night uh, at our previous house. Actually, I'd lay in bed and our window pointed out at the stars and I could see Jupiter. And I looked it up and it was 557 billion miles away. And I could see it. And God went, be there. And is there. All of it. And everything in between it and everything beyond it was there because God spoke a word. Now, how can that not stir our hearts to adore him? That's unbelievable. And not only is he that big and powerful, but, but he lowers himself and he meets us like here. He's here. The God who spoke the universe into existence is right here with us right now. And, and he, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh so that he would live this perfect life and die this perfect death so that he would forgive our sins. While we were sinners, while we were spitting in his face, he came down and died for us so that we would be forgiven and so that we would become more like Christ. Now, how can that not stir our hearts to worship? When we read that in God's word and we meditate on it. And if it doesn't stir your heart to worship, then... Then you come to God and you lay out before him and you say, I'm sorry. I I confess this sin to you. I repent of it, Lord. Help me. Stir my heart so that I would worship you more fully. And he will answer that prayer. What What if you find it difficult to trust God or submit to him? Um, I would tell you the same thing as the other one. Open your Bible, read it, study it, meditate upon it. See who God is and what he's done. And as we see that, we, would, we trust him more and more. I had that moment just this week. Um, I wasn't preparing for a sermon, but I just have a practice where I, I take an attribute of God or a name of God, and I just kind of meditate on it for a while until I decide to move on to the next one. And I was meditating on the name Yahweh this week. So Yahweh means I am who I am. It's the name of God. I am who I am, and it kind of has a, an additional meaning of I will be who I will be. This just God is who he is. And I came across this quote in a book. You guys have, most of you probably never heard of this guy's name, Herman Bovink. He's a Dutch theologian. But I read this quote and it just put me on my face. He says, God will be what he was for the patriarchs. What he is now and he will remain. He will be everything to and for his people. It's not a new and strange God who comes to them by Moses or even who comes to us this morning. But it's the God of the fathers, the unchangeable one, the faithful one, the eternally self-consistent one who never leaves nor forsakes his people, but always again seeks out and saves his own. He is unchangeable in his grace, in his love, in his assistance who will be what he is because he is always himself. And not only did that just stir my heart to say, whoa, but it put me with my hands out saying, how can I not trust you? 
You're the same God who was faithful to Abraham. You're the same God who was faithful to Isaac. You're the same God who was faithful to Jacob. You're the same God who pulled his people out of Egypt and walked with them. You're the same God who is here with me, taking care of me right now. I trust you with all of my life. I just lay my life down, Lord. I give myself to you because you are so good. If you have a hard time trusting and submitting to God, Read your Bible and meditate on it. Um, we find, have trouble finding joy in God. Um, another quote, I usually don't do this many quotes, but this one I couldn't pass up. It's by John Piper, talking about how we fight for joy in our lives using Scripture. He says, The preservation of our joy in God takes work. It's a fight to have joy in God. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, and he has an insatiable appetite to destroy one thing, the joy of our faith. But the Holy Spirit has given us a shield called faith, and a sword called the Word of God, and a power called prayer to defend and extend our joy. Or to change the image a little bit, when Satan huffs and puffs and tries to blow out the flame of your joy, You have an endless supply of kindling in the Word of God. And even though there are days when we feel that every cinder in our soul is cold, yet if we crawl to the Word of God and cry out for ears to hear, the cold ashes will be lifted and the tiny spark of life will be fanned because the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If you don't find joy in God, open your Bible, read it. Study it, meditate on it, and God will meet you there and stir your hearts to joy. If we are going to be a people or a church who is worshiping the triune God in community, as a community, and for the community, if that's who we're going to be, we have to be a people who are immersed in the word of God who are reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. We have to be a community of people who really knows who God is and who really knows what God has done and what He's doing and what He will do. And as we dive in and we know Him more fully and as we we see what He's doing and has done more fully, our hearts begin to be stirred to adore Him. And our hearts are stirred to submit to Him and to trust Him and to find joy in him, and we find ourselves being a worshiping people, not just on Sunday mornings, but in every day, every single aspect of our lives, that as we turn to God's word and we read it and we study it and we meditate on it, we will be a people who are complete, equipped for every single good work. Let's pray. Father, you are so gracious and good to us. You didn't have to speak to us through your word. You didn't have to give us the gift of your word, but you did. Father, stir our hearts to read it. Stir our hearts to know you more fully and know the way that you work in this world. And stir our hearts to love you and to submit to you and to follow you and to worship you. 
Lord, we confess that all too often we take things into our own hands and we get we forget about who you are and we get focused on ourselves. Lord, forgive us for that. And turn us back to you and turn us back to your word. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to see the work that you've done in our life and in the world clearly. And stir our hearts to worship you in every single aspect of our lives. Lord, we want to see your name glorified. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.